Welcome to Traveling Down, Biblical Archaeology for the 21st Century. Hi, I'm Gary Byers. This is Steve Collins. We call him our rock star at Tal el-Hammam. He's the director of the excavation and rocks and pottery. That's all the stuff he loves. And we've got some special stuff here. But not from Tal el-Hammam, not from Sodom. Nope. And this isn't pottery. But the Bible over and over again, pretty much from Genesis to Revelation, talks about bronze. Now, what is bronze? It's, well, it comes from, from two metals, tin and the primary and metal copper. is copper. Copper makes up about 85 to 90 percent of bronze. We add 10 to 15 percent tin to it, and it becomes much harder gets a much better edge and becomes a superior, the superior weapon material for the Middle Bronze Age or for the whole Bronze Age for that matter. Now, the, why did I say Middle Bronze Age? Because there is no true bronze, not in general use, in the early Bronze Age or in the intermediate Bronze Age. So why do we call it the Bronze Age? We call it the Bronze Age because in the Hebrew, the word for copper and the word for bronze is the same Hebrew word. So when particularly the early uh, archaeologists in Israel, uh, back in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, after the state of Israel, they started to come up with all of this terminology. And um, so bronze, copper, was the designate uh, material for weapons, There's primarily. A Greek word for copper, and that's calco. Uh, yeah, yeah, calcolithic. When we talk about the calcolithic period, this is the copper stone age, which ended around 4000 BC. And then we enter the early bronze age, which has no bronze, it's, it's still copper. And the intermediate bronze age, from about 2,500 to about 2,100, which still has no real bronze being used. It's still copper. But at the beginning of the Middle Bronze Age, around 2,100 BC, bronze is introduced officially. And uh, it's a much more superior uh, uh, metal to work with. Uh, that tin makes copper very easy to deal with. Mm -hmm. um, it pours up better. It, it melts better. It pours up better. Uh, it's much more forgiving than yeah. pure copper. And so all of a sudden it becomes the rage. Now, just because we go to the Iron Age, Gary, it doesn't mean that they quit using bronze. Bronze remains a very popular metal for things like cooking pots. And, uh, and we, when we have a metal cooking pot mm -hmm. or metal implements, uh, a lot of times uh, bronze is still the tool. Yeah, yeah. If, if, uh, iron was actually more expensive more difficult to get, deal with. So uh, bronze was the, the everyday use. Well, speaking of bronze and copper, you got a nice little pile of stuff here. Yeah, this is great. Um, there's a place in Jordan. Now, there are two primary places in, in, in the Levant. We talk about the Levant is everything between sort of the Euphrates River and Egypt, right? On both sides of the river, modern uh, Syria, Lebanon, Israel, Jordan, that area. And um, in the Levant, there are, in the southern Levant, there are two main areas. Timna, on the west side of the, of the Rift Valley, of the Jordan Valley, and then 
on the in the south, south of the Dead Sea and east of the Dead Sea, there's another area which is even a bigger copper production area, which goes all the way back to the Calcolithic period and comes all the way through the Bronze Age, and that's the location of uh, in Nahas. Uh, that refers to a specific mining location yeah. there, uh, but the Wadi Fainan. Yeah, yeah, that's a, we got to visit there almost two years ago. And we had uh, the excavator in the house actually took us down there. It was a great yes. experience. And you brought back yeah, that's Dr. show and tell. Yeah, Dr. Muhammad Najjar, yes. who's actually worked with us at Tal yeah. Hamam, and we've written a couple of papers together. And uh, um, he took us down to Wadi Fainan one year. Daniel went with us, and we had a great time. Uh, and of course, we had to pick up samples we did. of stuff. And so let's, let's talk about what we have here. Now, this. What we have at the Wadi Fainan are ancient mining operations. So they're actually digging the copper out of the ground. Then we have smelting operations where they're actually cooking up the, the ore, um, melting out the copper, taking out the slag, which comes off the pure copper. Yep. And um, then, of course, making ingots. In other words, just blocks or key cars, little round ingots of, of bronze, or of, a pure of copper. Cop, a pure copper, and then shipping those off to various locations around the Near East. And um, of course, in those locations, then they would take the, the tin that's being traded in from, from Persia, from, from Anatolia or modern Turkey, yeah. um, and they would add that to it and then make their, their yeah. bronze. But this is the copper mining operation from which so much of the bronze, uh, in fact, the mines around this area uh, were hailed as uh, Solomon's mines. Yes. The, the copper mines of King Solomon. Now that is very likely true because this is the biggest mining operation, copper mining operation in the area. Now you, they got some down in Egypt. But for the people living in the Levant, like Solomon, then this would be the, the primary place. And of course, Timna was across the river, was kind of a, across the rift, was kind of a clearing house mm. where, where copper from Finon would go and pop, copper from Egypt would go and it would be distributed uh, variously from there. But here it is, Gary. Uh, this, is, this is the whole process laid before us. So <clears throat> this, this, is a, this is a rock. And it's got a pretty, it's got some really pretty green in it. Yep. Is that an emerald? It is copper. This green is copper, not, a, not an emerald. I know you're disappointed, Mr. Film Producer. But this one, this is looking pretty good there. That's a really nice, good looking piece of copper. It's copper ore. Now, you're going to have to get, yeah, this, you call this ore. You, you would have to, to, um, to heat this up. And, and smelt this, this stuff will have to get to a melting place where you'll get the copper and then you'll break it off from other stuff. Yeah, when it melts out, the copper will separate and go to the bottom uh, of the container mm -hmm. um, and um, of, you know, the vessel that it's being melted in and the slag would come off the top, be poured off the top. So here's, this is a nice, nice piece here. You can see where this was broken and what it looks like on the inside. Yeah, that's, this is really interesting because you could almost take this 
uh, you could almost take this and pound it and anneal it and create copper out of this just by pounding yeah, the heck out of it. Because it's there. Yeah. 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 So that's an amazing, amazing piece. And it's, it's quite heavy. It's, it's, it, you can feel the difference with this from, from just normal, normal stones. This is, this is really solid. All right, so this is, this is the copper ore. This is the stuff that they were pulling out of the ground, and uh, they're digging it out, mining it out. Um, uh, some may be in the dirt, but mostly it's in, it's in rock, and they're going to have to Initia ch chisel Initially, I think in the Calcolithic period, they were pulling it pretty much off the surface because, you know, because the rock strata that carry the ore, carries the ore was fairly well close to the surface. But as, as the demand became greater and greater, they began to dig deeper and deeper and deeper to get the better copper. Yeah. And those mines went uh, several hundred feet deep. And they would be through solid rock. Right. So this is the ore that people were, were uh, looking for and, and found. And this was not a resort where people had fun digging out <laughs> copper. This, this was a terrible place to be because the people digging out the copper were probably slaves. Yeah, or prisoners Ca of war. Captive prisoners of yeah. war made to come and work yeah. and you were an expendable piece of machinery. Yeah. They worked you to death. Yeah, yeah it would have been. In the way. mines, it would have yeah, been a very terrible experience. So that's the ore. Then they would take the ore somewhere close by. We, we visited two or three different locations where they were smelting it. And um, I don't know what this looks like to you. I have some of my own thoughts, uh, but uh, there it is. And uh, th this is what is smelted off of, of the, um, the copper. And it's, so this is the top. This is what was sitting on the surface when we picked it up. So this is what it looks and like on the top. there are literally tons upon yes. metric tons of slag. Yes. Meters and meters thickness of, of slag. Yes. Now, now, and some it's, it's piled up, but, but this is just laying flat on the ground. Now, now this is the top. This is the way it was, it, it, it yeah. congealed. This is what it looked like when it was sitting on the ground. So this is the underneath side. So this stuff was just spilt out on the ground, dumped on the ground. That's the ground part. That's where it was sitting on the bottom. And uh, so just, you know, sitting above whatever rocks, dirt. And then this is how it gets on the end. <laughs> Hear how hard that is? I mean, that's is freshly, heavy. they're just pouring it out. And you can yeah. see as it just pours out along the ground. Yeah. It's, and clink it together because I think it's, you know, it's hard stuff. It sounds almost like metal itself, but it has some metal in it, be a little but bit. it's got a lot of silica. It's got a lot of minerals in it, but it is hard. In fact, there was, they, they would even sometimes refire the slag to get any extra if they thought yeah. it hadn't been done well. So listen to this. It's heavy, it's hard, it's like metal. And there, if you used the guy, you used um, metal detector on it, you'd pick up something. But um, there's, they got most of it. This is amazing stuff. So, so here's the ore uh, before smelting. Mm -hmm. This is the slag after smelting. And then so you're going to get rid of this stuff, pour it off, and then you've got the copper left. And um, you're going to take the copper. And, and it'll turn into an ingot first. You're gonna, the, these, these pure copper ingots would go and then they would be a manufacturing facility. And you said, probably not at Finon, but probably at Timna. 
at Timna and uh, probably other areas around where they were actually manufacturing. And so, and a lot of cities had these things in, in close vicinity. In a lot of excavations, they find copper yeah. uh, ingots, yeah. and uh, they're, so they're processing the copper into bronze by taking the tin and adding it together, melting it, and, and mixing it together. Uh, Tel Aviv was a pretty big city through that whole period. Do you suppose they had any copper works in, in the area? It's very, very possible. It's probable. In fact, we we have found several little bits and pieces of what look like sli uh, copper leftovers melted. Yeah. And um, and but here's an example of a finished piece. Now this is from uh, this is from uh, UA on the Acropolis area, six uh, FF. Locust 61, and that's deep. That's in the Middle Bronze Age Palace area. But what's interesting about it is this is the butt end of a bronze axe. Okay, it would come out here, and the end of it would be right here, curved edge. Now, this, uh, this is a co very common type of axe, yes. but this yeah. is bronze. And it's found at Tal Haman. This is the finished piece. So from, from ore to slag from the process of smelting to the finished product, here we have uh, from, from Tal Haman, which is not too far, maybe about three hours drive yeah. from uh, Tal Haman down to uh, the Wadi Fainan. And here's the end result mm -hmm. of copper in use in an implement in, a, in an axe head. Now, how much... Um uh, how, and, and how many pieces of copper material do we have from that early Bible period, not so much the Roman period, but late, earlier? How much do we have? Um, quite, a, Hamam. quite a bit. Um, not necessarily by weight. We don't, certainly don't have a ton of it. But we have things like needles and various kinds of jewelry and um, little boxes. Mm. Little uh, scale pans mm -hmm. uh, from the late yes, Bronze Age. Yes, we do. Yeah, in bronze. So um, there are many, many uh, usages. Um, it's about anything you want to make. You can make a bronze. Yeah. yeah. Now it's an expensive thing. You're not going to make a cup or a saucer or a bowl out of bronze. It's too expensive to do that. You use pottery, but for weapons and jewelry, it's the ticket. Yeah, that's the that's the main thing you use. Tools, certain kinds of tools. Yeah. Bronze uh, makes a really good uh, makes a pretty good edge. The sickle swords, for example, used in the time of Moses and Joshua. Yeah. Uh, the the all the weapons from the time of Abraham are all made of bronze, and um, and they do they do well until somebody invented iron, which yeah. is harder and has even a better edge. Yeah. And so uh, anybody with a anybody with a bronze sword against somebody with an iron sword is going to lose. Yeah. The bronze is going to lose out every time because once those two uh, uh, weapons clash together, that iron is going to break that bronze. Yeah. Well, speaking of, of all of that, you have the Harvest Handbook of Bible Lands right there. Yeah. And um, you've got you've got pictures of those swords you were just talking about. And you've also got some stuff about this. Yeah, we have a whole breakout on uh, the copper smelting operation at Finon. What's interesting about that is you remember the little story of Keterleomer in Genesis chapter 14. 
It says he came looking for the tribute that the cities of the plain, Sodom and Gomorrah and the other cities had refused to pay. Uh, all of a sudden they, they were paying tribute, then they stopped paying tribute. He comes all the way from Elam, which is in the area of Persia, modern yeah. Iran, and he comes all the way over the Fertile Crescent, picking up troops along the way from people like Hammurabi, I think, and others. And he comes down in there. And where does he go straight away? He comes down the King's Highway, and straight away it says he goes to the wilderness of Paran. Now, why would you go down into a desert area, pass by, you know, he, he encountered a few cities along the way, along the King's Highway, but he went straight away down into to the desert. Well, I don't think he was going to collect scorpions. The only reason he would at all that he would go down into the desert of Paran was to go to the Wadi Fainan. He was going down there to capture shipments of ingots before they went out, steal it, and take it back home to Elam. And by the way, it's interesting, uh, one of our students Previous students, Dr. Carl Morgan, who did his dissertation on this subject, uh, believes that he, these could have been taken right down to the, to the Red Sea, put on boats. He wouldn't yeah. have to haul them back because yeah. it would be tons and tons of it. He could take it down, put it on ships, and they could just follow uh, all the way around up the Persian Gulf to Elam. Yeah. Yeah. And they could get back home a lot faster than him walking <laughs> over the, yeah. the opposite, that's going right. over the Fertile Crescent. Yeah, that's but anyway, awesome. so why did Keterleomer and that great army from the east, why did they go into the wilderness of Paran? Because that's where the Wadi Fainan is located, and all of that's uh, in the book. In the book. In the book. It shows you about that. So here we have a, a, a financial reason. He's there for financial reasons. And the biggest, the biggest financial boon for Keterleomer in Genesis 14 is to get down into the Wadi Fainan, steal the copper ingots before they're shipped out. It's always been about the money. Well, we're glad to have you join us today. Hope you learned a little bit about copper and bronze and uh, pick up Harvest Handbook for Bible Lands. Glad to have you digging down as we trowel down for the past to understand it better for the future. Bye-bye.